welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. I had Jacob go around at the beginning of February and ask some questions for our new series. We didn't have, I wanted to do a video, but we didn't have a screen in the building we were in. So these are audio clips. So open up your ear holes and get ready to listen for a second. And Jaden, go ahead and play that clip. What do you think true love is or looks like? Don't ask me that one. I think true love looks like, you know, we lay our, lo- our lives down for those that we love one another. That's not just literally, but, you know, in, in many other ways. And we, we sacrifice our, our own needs and wants for those that we love. I think true love is definitely a feeling. I think you, you just know, like, that you just know when you know that it's true love. It's kind of hard to explain. I feel like true love is laying down your life for another person. Like just, I don't know, sacrificing so much just to show them that like you're there for them and you're just showing it through your actions or your words, but you're just showing it in some way, shape or form. It's unconditional, really. Oh boy, Um, true love for me is a lot about sacrifice and selflessness. Well, it's someone that uh, you're willing to spend time with, and like even like the little things that they do that like irritate you, yeah. you're willing to like push past that, and you're still willing to like you know spend Ooh. the time with them. And I believe true love is a heartfelt connection between multiple or one other person. True love is probably just someone you can just find like pure joy with. Sacrifice. True love is just like constantly giving up what you want for like the other person. Whether it's like someone that you like love love or just like the people around you. It's just like constantly sacrificing, giving up whether it's small or big sacrifices. So there you have it. Those are your answers about what you think true love is. And today we're going to talk about, I'm calling my message today, the problem with true love. We're going to talk about the problem with true love. And everybody's like, there is no problem with true love. Well, there is, and we're going to talk about it together today. So would you stand up with me and open your Bibles? And we're going to start reading from 1 John chapter 4. And um, we're going to read this together. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, says this. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression 
in us. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. God, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you put your words in my heart and in my mouth and on my tongue, and I say only the things that you want me to say. God, I thank you that you are preparing and have prepared our hearts and our ears to receive your word, which always brings truth and life and healing. Father, I ask right now that you continue to speak and move in ways that only you can. We love you, Jesus, and thank you for bringing your revelation and understanding to us today. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. amen. All right, go ahead, have a seat. The problem with true love. So we're going to look at some stats here for a minute. I told you if you were at church last Sunday night, I told you that in preparing for this message, I had um, gone through and put some stats together and looked at some different things that I found was interesting. And we're going to look at this. But the reason I want you to do this first, the reason I want to look at these stats is because I have learned that it's important in life to look at what you put inside of you. Am I right about that? Um, I started working out with a friend uh, about two years ago, and the first thing um, he did before we started working out, we got together, we showed up at the gym, and the first question he asked me was, what do you eat? What do you put inside of you? And he said, we're going to change your name from McGrew to McGrow. You're going to grow. <laughs> but he said, that only changes by what you put inside of you. And so as I began to exercise and work out with him, I found that if I didn't eat enough right food, when I would go to work out, I would be gassed. I wouldn't have strength. I wouldn't have the energy. I couldn't work out the way that I needed to. I'd be feeling physically sick and nauseous afterwards because I had expended all the energy. And as we continued on this journey of working out together, I had to begin to figure out and track what was going inside of my body. And as I began to look at what I was putting inside and how much I was putting inside my body, I realized that this wasn't just a physical principle, but a spiritual principle in truth. I realized that as I was counting my calories and as I was making sure primarily that I was getting enough protein in my body to fuel my body, I realized that a lot of us ingest things spiritually that should not be going inside of us. And if we don't stop and take stock of what we're feeding on, we really don't know what we're putting inside of us. Right? Like, I didn't really think about what I was eating until I stopped and really thought about what I was eating. And the same goes spiritually. If we're going to take some time today and look at some stats and realize, let's stop and pause and think about really what's going inside of us. What are we really feeding on spiritually? Not just physically, but spiritually. What are you putting inside of you? Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what goes in is what comes out. So I want to look at these stats. And so I was like, well, we're talking about the problem with true love. And so the first thing I thought about was music. And so I went and found Billboard. Everybody know what Billboard is? Billboard is the company that tracks music and tracks how they're doing on the charts, tells us what the number one song is, all those kind of great things. So I found a list that Billboard had made from 1958 all the way to 2021. Now, this list is actually the top 100 songs from 1958 to 2021. Don't worry, we're not going through all 100 songs. That would take far too long. But I want to show you something in this. We're going to look at some stats here, and I want to show you something. So hang on. So these are the, the top 10 from 1958 to 2021. Okay? So here we are at number 10 is the song by Ed Sheeran, The Shape of You, okay? This song came out in 2017, and it peaked at number one, and it stayed there for 12 weeks. Now, this song, it says, was on the charts 
for 59 weeks. So a year and seven weeks, this song was charting. That's a long time, right? And I bet when I said the shape of you, most of you probably began singing the song in your head. All right, number nine. Oh, look at this great little party song. Who remembers this song, the Macarena? 1996, it came out. It spent 14 weeks on number one, and it was charting for 60 weeks, okay? Number eight is, oh, the Black Eyed Peas. Good old party song. Came out in 2009, 14 weeks at number one, 56 weeks on the chart. That was a great party song, wasn't it? Just like a great high BPM, high energy. When you wanted to get the party going, that's where you went. Black Eyed Peas. Uh, Number seven was the song called Party Rock. Every day I'm shuffling. Am I right? Came out in 2011. He stayed on number one for six weeks, and it was on the charts for 68 weeks. Yeah. Let's keep going. Uh, 1997. Uh, This is not my jam at all. This genre of music. Good old Leanne Rhymes singing, How Do I Live? How Do I Live Without You? 69 weeks it charted, and it peaked at number two. Uh, Then we we have um, Uptown Funk. Yeah. Uh, If you have not seen the Screaming Eagles at MEI, they do a great version of Uptown Funk. Uh, came out in 2015, spent 14 weeks at number one and was charting for 56 weeks. Most of these songs are over a year that people are ingesting and feeding on these and listening, getting in their ears and into their heart. Okay, number four, what do we have here? Uh, 1959, this is weird to me, 1959. This song spent nine weeks on number one and was charting for 26 weeks. Now, what? is it a good song? Okay. Uh, uh, what I didn't tell you about the Macarena, we all know the Macarena, but it's in Spanish, right? So we don't know the words, do we? Let me tell you, the song Macarena is not a good song. I, I'm not saying you did. I'm just explaining. I, I wanted to explain. <laughs> Jen's favorite hit song is the Macarena, apparently. Uh, the Macarena is a song about a boy who goes off to war and his girlfriend or wife falls in love with two of his best friends. Yeah, so we're all like, na 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 whatever. I don't even remember the dance, but that's the song. So as you're dancing the Macarena, that's what the song is about. Now, Mac the Knife, who knows the song Mac the Knife? Do you know this song is about a killer? Yeah, it comes from a, a play that was written in the 1700s originally. And it's been revised a few times, but it was about a man that was a highwayman that would sit beside the edge of the highway and, like, uh, attack people and kill them and murder them. The song starts off talking about a shark and his teeth, but the shark and its teeth are a metaphor for a knife and stabbing. So that's Mac the Knife. The only reason I know Mac the Knife is some people from my generation may remember Mac the Knight, like, or whatever it was, the McDonald's commercial, and it was a man in a, a suit with a big moon for a face, and he would play the piano, and they had rewritten the words for McDonald's. That's how I know this song, and it was, come on, make it Mac tonight, right? Yeah. Anyways, that song is one of the top one, number four of the top 100 from 1958, 2021. 1999, Santana and Rob Smooth came out, or Rob Smooth, the song was called Smooth, was Rob Thomas and Santana, number 12, for, uh, number one for 12 weeks, 58 weeks in the chart. The last two songs we have here, 
1960 Chubby Checker doing the twist. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, number three, or number one for three weeks, 39 Sharks. And then here we are, number one, The weekend with the song Blinding Lights that just blew up as a viral trend on TikTok where everybody was dancing to it because we had nothing else to do during the first year of the pandemic. 90 weeks on the charts. And I spent four weeks at number one. Now, you're like, Jake, why are you sharing this with me? Because we're talking about the problem with true love. And I took the time to look at that because I want to show you something. Eight, I did the math. And I, it's very hard math because there's 10 songs there. But I did the math and I looked. And I went back and I looked what the songs were all about. And I read the songs. Eight out of 10 of those songs are about love and relationships and or sex. Right? The party rock song is kind of about sex. So we're going to lump it together there. The other one was about a murderer, and then the other one was, I forget what the 10th song that wasn't about love. But 80%. Now, I was like, this is interesting. Most of the music that we listen to, most of the things that we consume are somebody telling us their version of love and life and relationships. And I was like, well, that's interesting to me. I wonder how much of this stuff we actually consume. Have you ever thought about how much time you spent listening to the radio? and consuming this music. You're like, oh, I just put it on when I'm in my car and I'm driving. Well, check this out. So we have some more stacks. Um, TV consumption. According to the CRTC, which is Canada's regulatory body that governs how we watch and what we can watch on TV, in 2018, Canadians aged above 18 averaged 29.4 hours a week watching television. That works out to 4.2 hours per day. That's a lot. Then music consumption. I was like, okay, let's look at some music stats. According to a 2021 study across 21 countries of 43,000 people between the ages of 16 and 64, music was consumed 18.4 hours a week, which is 2.62 hours a day, or equivalent to each week of listening to 368 three-minute songs. All right, I was like, well, how much time do we spend on social media? So let's look at this slide. As of January 2021, there are currently 32.2 million users in Canada. So just under 85% of our entire nation is on some form of social media. And they are averaging an hour of 1.46 minutes a day consuming social media. Now, put this all together and what do you have? If you're the average person... In Canada, around the world, you will have up to eight hours a day where the world is pouring into you their version of love, life, and relationships. 4.2 hours a day watching TV, 2.6 hours a day listening to some kind of music, and 1.46 hours on social media. This also does not include the internet. This is just stuff that you're watching on TV, listening to in your car, or looking at as you scroll while you're waiting for your dentist appointment. 8.2 hours a day we have of people pouring into us, telling us what they believe true love is. What their version of, of healthy sexual relationships are. What their version of what life should look like. What their version of what love is really supposed to be. Guys, eight hours a day is ridiculous. Jaden, throw up the next slide here. So I thought to myself here, the problem with true love 
is that many of us are trying to answer this very important question about what is true love, but we're answering it based off of the facts that we have at hand. And for many of us, the facts we have in hand are what we consume. There are shows we watch on TV that tell us what relationships are supposed to look like. There's songs that we listen to that get deep inside of us. There are things that we look on on Instagram that tell us what relationships are supposed to look like, what life is supposed to look like. We consume these things, they fill us up, and then we begin to think, because we spend so much time devouring this content, that this is what is right, this is what is healthy, and this is what is normal. And we base everything off of that stat. God forbid is right. We try and figure it out off what the world tells us. I got one more stat I want to show you here. And we talked about this a little bit last week if you were in church. Barna is a research group. And in 2021, they did a study on churchgoers, people who are believers, people who go to church, call themselves Christians, identify as Christians. 11% of those people said that they read their Bibles seven days a week. They didn't talk about how long those people read their Bible. They just said that they read their Bible seven days a week. So it could be five minutes, could be an hour. 5% of the people that responded said they read their Bible four to six times a week. Then it goes on, 9% said they read their Bible two to three times a week. Another 9% said, I read my Bible one time a week. 8% said, I read my Bible once a month. One time a month, I'll crack open my Bible and I'll read something. Another 8% said, three to four times a year, I'll read my Bible. That's once every three or four months, where a Christian, church-going person will crack open their Bible and read it once a quarter. 8% also said, I read my Bible once a year. I don't even know how this next stat could be true. 13% said, I read my Bible less than once a year, so I guess every other year, maybe once every 15 months. And then 29% of these people said that they never read their Bible on their own. So my point in showing you these stats is I want you to see and I want you to think, just like when I began to exercise and work out, I had to stop and cognitively think about what I'm consuming. I want us to think about what we're consuming. And what we're measuring truth and life off of. Are we allowing the world to set our standards? Are we allowing the world to tell us what true love is? Are we allowing the world to tell us what relationships and family are supposed to look like? Are we allowing them to define to us what's something the word of God should be defining to us? The problem is, most of us, the answer is yes. A lot of Christians, a lot of believers, allow media to tell you how to live and what is normal and what is right. And that's not the way it should be, my friends. Is it? We're supposed to base our life off of this book right here. This is supposed to be our guide, not somebody we follow on Instagram, not the newest song that comes out, but this, this is our guide. We used to have a teacher in our school that said, I'm sure some of you heard this, that Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. <laughs> and it was pretty cheesy. I mean, I got to tell you, when I, was like, when I was like 15 years old, I was like, oh my gosh, could this guy be any cheesier? <laughs> but as I got older and more mature, I realized he wasn't really wrong. 
This book is a guide. This book brings life. This book sets everything that should be in order for us. It gives us all the answers that we have need of if we would just crack it open and read it. Amen? The world says to us that true love is a feeling. The world says to us that true love is somebody that I could spend, that I could imagine myself spending the rest of my life with. The world says that true love is a physical attraction. The, these are things that I looked up. I don't, I don't know if you know this before, but Google is really fun to open up and start just typing questions and see what the answers come. Because the answers that come up are what people have actually searched for. And so they have compiled this database where they think they know what you're going to say. And so as you begin to type, it will begin to answer your questions for you based off of other people's searches. So people have said true love is a feeling, someone you can see yourself growing old with, that it's physical attraction, that it's an emotion, that true love is passion, that true love is unrivaled connection with somebody, that true love is being on the same page with somebody, or that true love is simply the one. And I want to tell you something. These things are all good, and they're awesome, and you should desire to achieve those things in relationship. You want to you be attracted to the person you spend your life with. You want to find them physically attractive. You want to spend your time with them. You want them to be the one. But let me tell you this. Those things do not make true love. Those are byproducts of a relationship. Those are things that come from lots of hard work, lots of hard conversations, lots of good old fun times where you're trying to figure stuff out. And it doesn't work and it doesn't seem right, but you keep plowing through it anyways. And I want to tell you this. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking. He makes a statement. He says that, that the devil, Satan, is the father of all lies. And we know that Satan can't create anything new. But what he can do is try to pervert the truth. And if you take a stop and you gander and you pause and you step back and look at things objectively, you can see that the world and the enemy, the devil, has tried to pervert what true love is so that we ingest it and we begin to agree with it. We begin to accept it and we begin to say, this is what's normal, not this. And whenever you find yourself saying, this over here is normal apart from what this says, you're in trouble. So I want to go back to John chapter 4 together, 1 John chapter 4. And I'm going to show you some things about true love. You guys are all having as much fun as I am, so just hang on a second. We're almost... Chad is scratching his beard, pondering deeply. All right. So four things we want to talk about here. Four things that true love is. If you're taking notes, if you're writing notes on your phone, if you're thinking along with me, we're going to talk about four things that true love is. Okay? The problem, I realize, the problem with true love is that we are using the wrong standard to define what true love is. That's the problem with true love. For many, many, many of us, we're using a false standard. And if you were going to build a house, if you were going to build anything, you would not want to use a false standard to build that thing. You want to find the right tools. You want to use the right measurements because you wouldn't want to get to the end and have what you built fell apart, fall apart because you did not use the proper tools at the beginning of the job. Am I right? 
I mean, I'm no craftsman. I can't build a house, but I do know some things. I do know that you want to use the right tools from the get-go so that you get the job done. And the problem we face, the problem with true love is, is a lot of us have a wrong definition of what true love is because we're basing it off of what somebody else tells us. And true love is not this. It's not a what. It's a who. True love is not a what. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It doesn't come and it doesn't go. But true love is defined and it's based off of a who and not a what. Okay, First John, and I'm going to show you scripture to back this up. We already read it. First John chapter 4, verse 8 says this. But anybody who doesn't love, does not love, does not know God because for God is love. True love is not based off of a what. It's based off of a who. And we always got to go back to the true definition. You know, for any word that has ever been coined or come up with, somebody was the one who created that word and defined what that word meant. And so God is love, which means that God is the definition of love. So if you want to know what real love is, if you want to know what true love is, then what we have to do is look at him. Not look at anybody else, not look at anything else, but look squarely and purely at him to see what real love is and begin to model that after him. Begin to model your life. Begin to model your style of love after his style of love. How about that? How about we begin to love like Jesus instead of loving like Justin Bieber? Justin Bieber's great. He can sing great songs, and apparently he can come up with great donuts. But Justin Bieber doesn't define love for us. Only God does. So number one, true love is not defined by a what, but it's defined by a who. And that who is God, because God is love, plain and simple. In fact, I mean, you could go back to your dictionaries. You could be one of those Christians that go back to their dictionaries and open up the word love and cross out the rest of the definitions and just write in there God. Because God is what defines love. If you want to know what love is, look at God. The next thing we have here is that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says this. This is real love, all right? You want to know what real love is? This is real love, John's saying. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. So the next thing I want to say to you is that real love, true love, is a first love. John says here, love's not that we loved God. Real love isn't this, that we love God. Real love is that God loved us. And you're like, well, what does that mean? It means that God loved us. John 3, 16 says that God loved us so much that he sent his only son into all the world to die for everybody before anybody loved him back. Real love is a first love where you're not basing your love. It's not reactionary. Your love is proactive. It's a first love. I choose to love you, not because of anything you've said to me, not because of anything you've done for me, but because I love you first, because God loved us first, so I'm going to love you first. I'm going to lay myself down first. Somebody always has to lay their self down first. When it's two people, somebody's got to say, well, I'm going to lay myself down first. I'm going to lay my life down first. Real love is a first love. Real love isn't this, that we love God when God did something good for you. That's easy. It's easy to love somebody when they do something nice for you. Isn't it easy to feel like, oh, uh, Johnny did something nice for you, and he, he, like, washed your car and filled it up with gas and went and vacuumed it and then, like, came home and made dinner and vacuumed and cleaned the entire house and gave you a 
pedicure himself. He like took lessons online and learned how to be a pedicure. He spent hours and hours in one of those pedicure places just fine like figuring out how to do it because he wanted to serve you and he came and you're like oh my gosh my husband is the most amazing husband in the world he learned how to give pedicures just for me I love him no that's not real love because it's easy to love somebody who's done something great and amazing for you real love is when you love first before anything has been happening before there's any kind of exchange where you just say I love you because I love you The next thing in verse 10 is this, is a real love, a true love, is sacrificial love. And I want to say this to you, and I want to say it this way. If there's no sacrifice in your love, is it even love? The rest of this verse says this. He says, real love is this, that God loved us first, not that we loved him, and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 backs this up. And it says this. Jaden, can you put that up there? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Yes, we all know these scriptures. But I want you to read this as I read it and think what you see about sacrifice in this verse. Because I tell you what, patience causes you to sacrifice some things, doesn't it? Being kind causes you to sacrifice some things because sometimes you don't want to be kind. Sometimes that person just ticked you off and you want to yell at them. You want to be mean. You want to say something. Uh, Love is not jealous. That requires sacrifice on your part. It's not boastful or proud or rude. It causes you to sacrifice, okay? It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It doesn't rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. What does that require? A whole lot of sacrifice. Because I'll tell you what, when you find yourself in a marriage, when you find yourself in a relationship, there's going to be times where you say, this is too hard. I don't want to do this anymore. This is more than I bargained for. This is more than I signed up for. I can't figure this out. And it would be easier for everybody if I just split right here. You know what? Real love is sacrificial where you say, I'm not going to cut bait and run. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to fight. And we're going to work through this thing because that's what I need to do because love is sacrifice. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. As far as I can tell, as I read through this, this is just a whole lot of big words saying, you've got to sacrifice for love. Okay, amen. Great, let's move on. The last thing I want to say to you here is I want to read verse 11 and 12 to you. And it says, uh, dear friends, since God loved us so much, you surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. And this is a great phrase, and I want you to listen to this. No one has ever seen God, but. No one's ever seen God, but. If we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Mm -hmm. But if we love, no one's seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. What is John saying here? First of all, the fourth point that I want to say to you, the four things that true love is, true love is in you. When you are a follower of Jesus, when you've accepted Jesus into your life and surrendered, like we were talking about this morning, surrendered yourself to him, he is inside of you. And it says nobody has seen God, but 
when God is inside of you and you begin to love your brothers and sisters, when you begin to love your spouse, when you begin to love your kids, when you begin to love those around you, what do they see? They see God in you. And it says that that love, they begin to see the full expression of his love. You know what? That phrase, full expression, is what I really like. That, that part's really exciting me because on my own, I can show bits and pieces of God's love. But when I'm loving the way that God loves, when I'm showing real love, when I'm showing true love, people begin to see the full expression. Not just the part that I'm good at, but the parts I'm not good at because God is at work in me, causing him to be seen through my actions to other people around me. The full expression of his love. So four things that love is. It's not a feeling. It's not emotion. It's not defined by a what. It's defined by who, and that who is God. It's a first love. It's a sacrificial love. And that love is inside of you. Stand up with me. I said this last Sunday night. I'm going to say it again because not everybody was here last Sunday night. But through my extensive years of being married, my whole 24 years, it is a long time, almost two and a half decades. It'll be, it'll be 25 years in September, which is a long time. I have learned this, and this is what I said last, last Sunday night, is that vehicles, families, friends, relationships, those are all instruments and vehicles that the Lord uses in your life to form his love more perfectly, to form his character more perfectly inside of you so that people can see the full expression of his life. That's one of the biggest points of marriage is not all the benefits, not of, not of filling your loneliness, not of bringing somebody alongside of you that is your friend to do life with. Those are all great side effects. Those are all great benefits. But that's not the main point. The main point is that you are joined together with somebody and that you are having to work through your issues, that you're having to work through the things inside of you so that his love is perfectly formed in you so that as you begin to do life with other people, they see God in you. And they see that God and they say, there's something different about you and that's what I want. That's what I need. I don't know what it is. I don't know how you got there. I don't know how you got that inside of you, but I need what you have. That only comes through spending time with people, through working through relationship. Amen? Let's pray together. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.